0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I am delighted to be joined again for the third time by James Pope, who is a writer at Harper's and Vanity Fair, who has just written another brilliant piece about the dissident right in America. This one is under the headline, Inside the Dissident Fringe, where the new right meets the far left and everyone's bracing for apocalypse. It's quite a long headline, I think, because it's quite hard to capture what you're talking about in this piece. And I don't mean this as a criticism, I mean it's praise. The piece is quite sprawling because what you're talking about is in chaos. And this scene, this movement, this drift towards exit as they call it, dissidents removing themselves from American society, is incoherent in many ways. it's, It's picking up all sorts of ideas and running with them in lots of different directions. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in writing this piece, how it's an extension of what you've written before.
1: Well, so, you know, for people who read my last piece, or people who didn't actually, that one was more focused on what is known as like the new right which is a term that at least in some circles is falling out of favor for various reasons which uh sometimes are obscure even to me and i'm friends with a lot of these people But the dissident right is this kind of fringier element of people who share the conception of the sort of like buttoned up think tanker types in the new right, but who like they share the conception that we are ruled by a sort of globalist regime, essentially. And some people wouldn't use the word globalist, but a, a neoliberal even regime that is sort of Operating under the ghost of its own power now and that is running us into a kind of like hyperspace of technology ruling our lives of, of social disorder of all this sort of thing, right and I got interested in this world actually via people who, as a matter of interest, via people in Montana who I had known through like militia stuff. So I had written about the Bundys and these people who are sort of more on the traditional sort of far right of America, libertarians, militia guys, things like that, right? And I had always been interested in that stuff because personally, I was interested in critiques of liberalism, critiques of this kind of like constant narrative of constant growth as being a inevitable good in our society and stuff like that i was always interested in that stuff from the left and so i started noticing that there were people in this world of like american far right who knew people like in new york like who were really big on twitter and stuff and who knew this kind of like dissident fringe of like frankly like often like very cool kids like who were like leaving montana to go to parties in new york like with like 22 year olds who were like also associated with tech world stuff. And I thought this was fascinating. And I think if you spend a certain amount of time online in the kind of realm of Twitter that has a lot of this energy, you can't help but notice that there's this kind of fascination with eco politics and with one might call like in America, we call them preppers with this, this idea of kind of like exiting from society. Mm. So. To, to kind of like tie together what the piece is about, or at least what I tried to do to, to kind of bring that sprawlingness together, was look at it in two frames. One, people who are planning to, quote unquote, overthrow this regime. And two, people are planning to sort of like exit the, yeah. the dying liberal system as they see it. Right. And it was funny because I'm up here in Montana now and there's a guy who lives over in Bozeman, who's an anonymous but big figure on dissident Twitter. And I posed that to him before the piece came out, sort of nervously, saying, "Like, do you think the, this is the choice that that you guys are making? And like, which one do you want?" And he went, "I want
0: both." Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that is interesting, is it? That that it combines a sort of uh, elite or cool metropolitan world with this very uh, rural American tradition of you know, prepping and even like pre-preppers. It's fundamentally very American to uh, explore new frontiers within your own country. And in fact, there's a certain irony, isn't there, that America, this country founded on liberalism and enlightenment values, is where these people are escaping. They're using the freedom that America <laughs> enables to escape and to reject enlightenment values. I mean, someone in your piece says, what is it, we're fucked because of the enlightenment or something. Is that? We've been fucked by the enlightenment, yeah
1: although ironically that that person uh she's a brit
0: oh, really? um, <laughs> she's a brit
1: who came here to work in tech
0: oh well that now makes perfect
1: sense then. and now is associated interestingly with an organization called praxis which i won't pretend to know a ton about i'm not candidly sure that anyone knows that much about but praxis is like ultra connected people who are in uh, I forget what their tagline is, but, you know, talented, ambitious people. There's a bar. You're only allowed to be in Praxis if you meet a certain bar. And their idea is that they're going to go, like, found a city-state, a crypto city-state kind of thing in the Mediterranean. And the Praxis types, again, I don't know that much about them, but I follow some of them on Instagram, and it is wild. Like, they have parties and stuff where they're just, like, lavish dinners in Florentine palazzos and stuff. And it is... It's a really interesting
0: sort of even beyond my ken kind of world with some of this kind of planning for exit. Yes, so they're they're sort of they're libertarians in the sense that I think we talked about this before. But you know, in the sense that Peter Thiel originally was interested in, or a long time ago was interested in seasteading and building societies. That they're still playing off that libertarian impulse to to create your own thing away from government.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I think. I think as we talked about with Teal originally, there's a lot of attempts to sort of like pin down his thought and I, I don't subscribe to that mode of, of journalism. Like I I just, things are changing so fast and like things that are just like a mini meme on an internet, like on the, on Twitter, especially now can shift so quickly these days into like the general politics of a whole swath of the right that like trying to figure out what people believe in a static kind of way i think is impossible so there is this kind of like libertarian element there's this very sort of you know people are pretty into guns like a lot of people these days are getting guns like in a way that they would not have a few years ago i think or would not have even been interested in them Mm. you know like even stuff like people talk all the time it's a huge you can call it a meme you can call it a trend you can call it a quite earnest like attempt to get closer to the land but like Chickens, chickens are like a huge thing now. And a lot of people are getting chickens. And like, it's almost so much that, perhaps you've seen this online, but it's almost so much that like local agriculture, especially sort of like grass fed beef and like keeping chickens is starting to be like a thing with right wing valence. Yeah, Because it kind of hints at this kind of, I'm getting ready to exit, I'm getting ready to separate, I'm taking care of myself. But then getting to the, the sort of enlightenment thing, you know, the the kind of most, I think most sophisticated and easily accessible and interesting of the mainstream thinkers or the people who bridge the mainstream and this world right now is this guy, Patrick Deneen, right? And Patrick Deneen, you know, in his previous book, Why Liberalism Failed, and then in his upcoming book, which is literally titled Regime Change uh, and is an advocation for changing this regime, not other regimes, he makes the argument that Fundamentally, American conservatism is liberal, and in Britain, that's a thing that I think people kind of already knew. Like, mm. if, that's not a, that's not like an interesting or controversial thing to say about British Tories. They come from a liberal tradition. They are the right wing of a liberal tradition. They are fiscally liberal, or sorry, you know, they're they're they they are people who are liberal in an economic sense, if not a social sense. And they're two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. In Britain, that was always something that people kind of got. In the U.S., like, we don't use liberalism in that way. And so Mm. there's a lot of people on the right who are just sort of in right-wing ecosystems who had to wake up to, wait, we were liberals this whole time? Mm. Um, And now that has changed. And I think it is occasioned, frankly, like a... I mean, you could call it a flowering. You could call it a dark flowering if you yourself are a liberal. But it's occasioned like a burst out of kind of interesting and, like, very radical thought in this country. Yes.
0: Let's talk about the radicalism, because obviously, a lot of these people talk about civil war, they talk about the end of the order, They some of them talk about ending it themselves. But at the same time, as your as your piece sort of conveys, a lot of it is feels like fashion, it involves parties, it involves taking drugs together. And so I think people might cynically think that it's just posing. But I, I think what you might say, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that is that they're sort of being they're posing and being serious at the same time.
1: I think that's true. I think part of what you have to understand is that I, I think the some of the Civil War stuff is kind of overblown in terms of I, I think people sure there are people who talk about it, but I think in this world, the kind of smart kid take these days is that is to use America as kind of a vision of Rome fading, not Rome disintegrating, right? And you know, the, the, the catchphrases are, you know, our declining state capacity, which, you know, like our declining ability to do things collectively. Mm. Um, and then this idea of kind of managed decline, like that the empire, the empire, the elites are not doing good. Like they're not doing well at managing this empire. They're holding on for dear life. And they're basically allowing this whole thing, this whole global empire, not just the United States to kind of like fall into disarray, fall into misdirection and slowly lose the energy, the you could even say the moral energy that gave the American empire its strength, and, you know, at the time of our real emergence in post World War II. And so like you could call it a pose, but you could also sort of I'm not defending this, I'm not taking a side. Don't 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 get me wrong, but like there's a lot of stuff about like, oh, these guys aren't doing anything. These guys are these guys are just posers. They're just having parties. Well, Right. If you're living through the end of Rome, what else do you do? Um, And so, like, to some degree, that seems natural to me. And I don't think it's quite as I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as like, oh, they're all posers. They're not doing anything. They're not doing any of the stuff they're saying. They are to some degree actually living
0: out what they think. Mm. Um, But that is a kind of conservatism, isn't it? It's accepting. So they can be radical, but they're accepting that it's not really their job to change the world they've just got to sit out this period of managed decline.
1: I think that's very true. I think it's important to remember, too, that, like, because of the way that a lot of this stuff is happening on Twitter, like not all of these people are conservatives, like like you sort of you sort of. And so there's a woman in my piece who you know, voted for Hillary Clinton and, quote, says in the piece, like, I speak woke um, and I'm, I'm actually up here in Montana now. I'm going to see her. She's culturally liberal and I think even politically liberal, um, but sees kind of the problems, sees the problems of state capacity, sees the problems of sort of like what's going on with America at this moment, Mm. and happens to be by, by virtue of, you know, working in crypto, working in tech, like just connected with a lot of the major figures in this scene, including like Balaji Srinivasan and people like that. And it's kind of weird because the dissident thing is as much a cultural space as it is a kind of like political conservative space. And I think that's easy to misread from afar. And it's easy to sort of like in America's divided politics today, like it's easy to look at anybody who like is, you know, friends with or follows any of these people on Twitter and just be like, Oh, they're evil. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's something in my work that I struggle with a lot because I'll include people. And I'll say like, this person is not of this politics, but they're connected with a lot of these people Mm -hmm. and you'll get, you know you'll go on a liberal podcast and they'll be like wow so that person's just like a freaking fascist and you're like you're, you're you're caught sort of like defending something that you, go, you don't like I'm not a part of it per se but I, I just like I know them and I get in a very weird space with trying to explain the difference between conservatism and this scene of you know like small magazines some of which are just they're bored with kind of the liberal bent of american literature right now so they've fallen into this space you know um and so it's interesting to go i talk in the piece i went to um a conference for a sort of tech project called urbit which is impossible to explain i can't really (laughs) it's crazy um
0: this was curtis yarvin's project but he's no longer involved right Right.
1: And so it's Curtis Yarvin's plan to build a 10,000 year new kind of computing, essentially. And, you know, in that space, in the urban space, that's really where a lot of this stuff comes together, where you have like, just people coming from like cool new literature magazines to people who are doing the exit plans, the Praxis people to, you know, kind of crypto millionaires to, you know, people who have many of these people actually have moved out to like, not to name any names, but, you know, a friend of mine who's heavily involved with Urbit, like, lives out on a compound in Utah now. Mm. And he kind of bridges this whole thing. And he has, admittedly, he has become very right wing
0: after having been a sort of normal New York magazine guy. Yeah. Um, To, To what extent do you think the pandemic was a huge shifter in this process, because you had people with a lot of time, more time to spend at home, on their computers, reading, connecting with people, thinking different radical thoughts. You had people moving a lot, moving out of cities a lot. You had a sort of general despair at government and fear that government was collapsing and not really working. And how much do you think that influenced or sped up this scene that you're talking about? A hundred percent,
1: a hundred percent. I mean, the pandemic is is the the inflection point here. I I would agree with everything you just said as factors in it. I would say more so though that the lockdowns, the mask mandates, the, the and especially honestly the vaccine mandates, uh, the the what a lot of people in this world will call the biopolitics surrounding COVID, and then the narrative. Ooh, I'm gonna get myself in trouble here, but you know the narrative shaping, the narrative shaping that came from the top, right? And so, I'm not wading into any of this. I'm not offering an opinion, but like. You know, when people saw, like, oh, you couldn't talk about lab leak theory, right? When, when you saw that you couldn't do that, and then all of a sudden, like, U.S. intelligence agencies or the Department of Energy saying, oh, actually, maybe it was real, people started to get, to use a term current in this world, people started to get red pilled. And they mm-hmm. started to feel, you know, you might have felt already that, you know, based on in America, like, your life is totally controlled by your phone and your credit score and your, you know, frequently your student debt, your medical debt. People already started to feel like they lived in this kind of like dystopia of money and tech. And then the pandemic hit and people were like, oh, so now I interact solely through a screen. The government appears to be able to like sort of shape what I'm even allowed to talk about. And people started to go, for lack of a better term, a little nuts. And it it occasioned very much so. It occasioned a sort of like a huge shift on, on the part of a lot of people towards this kind of politics.
0: And and another thing we haven't, well, you've mentioned, but that that taps into this is a lot of these people made a lot of money out of crypto during that time. That is true. That is true. freed them up to pursue these projects. That is very true. And, you know, enough money, enough
1: money to the point that, you know, even in the crypto crash, like a lot of people are really well off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have friends, I have friends who got in on the Ethereum ICO, right? So you're just like, I don't, you put a dollar into that and you're rich at this point, right? (laughs) And so a lot of these people sort of there's sort of big conversation these days about the tech crash that's coming and the employment crash that's coming. And like maybe that has happened. I don't know the numbers, but it hasn't happened quite to the extent that I thought it was going to. Um, And it you know, you just have you have a set of people who, frankly, like just have the ability to work from anywhere and make a lot of money. Mm. And that is not exclusive to this kind of like dissonant fringe or this right wing, right? And so a lot of what I talk about in the piece is like part of the energy here in this part of the country where I am right now, part of the energy and the nervousness and the kind of like seething feeling that something's going wrong has to do with the fact that a lot of people who are really well off, frequently liberals uh, who work Zoom jobs have just moved out here because there was cheap money forever. Mm-hmm. And you could just like, if you worked a normal job getting wages in Montana, and you're in a place like Bozeman, and you're competing with people who have access to capital in a way that you never will, you're just getting priced out all the time. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the interior of the country has really, really been priced out in the last very, very short period of time. Um, and it creates a feeling of of craziness. Like you, you, it, 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 it is a term, it's a thing that, not to get too far into this, but there's a mode of social control that happens when people in rural areas actually can't afford to live where they want to live. And, you know, you can't be like an old-time woodcutter. You can't be a small engine repair guy. You can't – a lot of these, like, old-school jobs that people had out here, like, they just can't do them and survive. Yeah. And it, that's creating energy from the bottom up that is a little different than this dissonant thing but is still real and is sort of feeding a lot of this sense.
0: Yes. And I suppose it's mixing because there's sort of inequality within the movement, because you have these people sharing ideas with people who have not made gazillions out of crypto. And so you have resentments even within the system that feed, that feed the anger.
1: Yeah, I think that is very true. I think that the dissonant thing is still something that, you know, for your average kind of like Trump voting Montana guy, Is still a little difficult to perceive Mm. that is becoming less so and i think a lot of that has to do with the figure of tucker carlson because you know it's almost it's almost like a joke right like so tucker tucker is putting i don't i I don't watch it every night, so I can't say how often, but it is shocking how often you turn on Tucker Carlson and he's like using tweets and takes that came directly from dissonant Twitter and it's almost like a joke like like people people on these like kind of obscure podcasts like the fed post like they'll they'll like log on and they'll like see on their twitter that they're they're like blowing up and it's because Tucker picked up one of their tweets mm. and that is a kind of direct line to to you know the chud sphere, as we say here in America, like the, the, the normie, the normie MAGA Republicans. And so it is interesting, like, so I, as I think you maybe know, like, I spend a lot of time and I'm working on a book by it. We're about to announce it soon. Uh, it's <laughs> called The Natural Division about a kind of separatist region of California called the State of Jefferson. And the, the kind of, like the leader of the militia up there is this dude, Carlos Zapata. Who is, incidentally, weirdly the like the grand nephew of Salvador Allende, um, and now is right wing and goes on Alex Jones all the time, and like he's not on Twitter. If you asked him who Bronze Age Pervert is or somebody, some of these big sort of like dissident dissident overlord figures, I don't think he would know what you're talking about. Yeah. But the language he uses is almost exactly theirs, and like the people around Carlos Zapata they took over the county government basically they the, the militia basically like had proxy people proxy allies like run and take over the county government and it's very interesting because what they're what they're engineering in that county government is exactly analogous to like a Curtis Yarvin planned coup they're purging the civil service they're pu- purging law enforcement they're purging their enemies and they're engaged in you know what Patrick Deneen would call regime change on a county level and i find that very fascinating and i find it I can't at this moment yet, like draw the line, Curtis Yarvin, you know, over here in Berkeley and Carlos Zapata six hours up the road in Dunsmuir. I can't quite draw that line yet. But I think in coming years, it's going to be very easy to in coming years. I think these politics are going to be general on the right.
0: And are they now so far exited that they are disengaged enough from politics to not really be that interested in the coming election?
1: Well, that's hard to say. Actually, I would I would argue the broad swath of them are probably still very interested in the election. And I think that has to do with the feeling that, you know, if you get your right people in there, you can actually work some of this stuff they want. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason I like I I know to Curtis Yarvin very well and I know his thought very well. Uh, and I know his plans, his personal plans for regime change. I unfortunately haven't gotten to the end of the Patrick Denine book, so I, I'm not quite sure what his plan is. But I know Curtis's plans, and there is absolutely no reason you could act, ex- you couldn't exercise his plans through the figure of Ron DeSantis. And indeed, there is absolutely no chance that if not DeSantis himself, the people around him are aware of these ideas. They, they, they. Are, I mean, they are very, very current with this stuff. This stuff is is right wing Twitter now, mm. and even, you know, I was talking, I was talking with like some, I'm not going to name them, but I was talking with some big, big, big figures on the sort of like far end of the dissident, right? A couple of days ago. And, you know, they were talking about like a journalist, a young journalist who's sort of like well-known, writes for the New York Times, writes for the National Review, sort of like well-known in normie spheres of Republican stuff. And they were like, yeah, that guy is to use a term current in this world, that guy's secretly super-based. Yeah. And I think that they're right. I, I don't have any personal knowledge of that. That's why I'm not naming him. But they're like, that guy's secretly super-based. Like, he's with us.
0: Yes. And
1: that's a feeling that I think they're not... I'm not sure about that particular figure, but they're not wrong to have about general the general run of sort of these people.
0: And, and that, in a way, is very similar to the British left in the 70s and 80s, where there would be public figures who would be the would be acceptable to to the the average voter but everybody knew that they were secretly you know pretty radically marxist or or even stalinist yes and and it's so it has flipped in that sense yes absolutely
1: and i think you know to 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 talk about that for a second You know, I get challenged a lot. And it's funny because I I tend to think that I'm aware of this. I get challenged a lot by leftists who are saying none of these ideas are new under the sun. Like we were criticizing globalization years and years ago and all this stuff. And I absolutely agree. I mean, that's the tradition from which I come. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it that has been really problematic for the American left, and I would imagine probably for the British left as well, but specific to us, right? The figure of Trump coming in was so repugnant to so many people on the left that you were faced with a choice. Because all of a sudden, people on the right were saying, look, this guy is smashing the institutions. Which wasn't, I would argue, really all that true. But his presentation was as someone who was going to come up and really smash the institutions, smash the way that we do politics in, in this country, right? And it put the left, especially after Bernie was sort of iced, it put the left in a position of, well, we have to defend these institutions first. We have to defend these institutions and destroy this rising right wing first, and then we can do whatever radical change in politics we want to do. Mm. But right now, we got it, And Bernie did... I mean, I, I was there the night Bernie won New Hampshire in 2020. And he, the, his opening line was, this is the first day of the end of Donald Trump. It wasn't, this is the first day of our new revolution, right? And I thought that was really significant because it showed the kind of corner that the American left has been backed into where, you know, people are so, and I don't want to generalize, but just the, the kind of like broad sweep of this. Now I am generalizing. The broad sweep of this has come to appear on the right, especially that the left has been sort of defanged and it's given them a ton of energy. It's given them a ton of sense of purpose because they're like, we are the we are the radicals now. We, We have taken that mantle.
0: And it means that progressive people who speak woke, as that character in your piece says, they can suddenly very quickly become extremely socially conservative.
1: Well, they can. I mean, I think, so like Denine would argue, Danine would argue that like that mode of speaking woke is, is an in, is an in signal for elite groups, right? And in a, mm. in a way, way of sort of delegitimizing the, the political will of the demos and, and sort of saying like, look, if you don't speak this language, then, then you're actually, you're beyond the political pale. So, so your political aspirations, which might be, again, this is what Deneen would argue, your political aspirations would be socially conservative and economically sort of, you know, populist. Uh, It is given, like, if you can't speak woke, if you can't speak this kind of new language, it's showing that you're beyond the political pale and your aspirations are not actually important. The -hmm. thing that I, the thing that I experience reading that sometimes and, like, sometimes, like, want to push back on is, like, on the right, it, Is actually true that this demos of which they speak, which is supposedly like you know representing this true the true heart of what people really really do want, social conservatism and and economic populism, well, it doesn't seem to really win national elections. So like, is it truly the demos? Mm -hmm. And that's something that like America is really wrestling with, and the the, the, like the the, do you speak woke kind of conversation really goes to because it's like, well maybe in this diversifying country the demos has changed and these people are all reactionaries because they are trying to restore a demos that no longer exists right and that fundamentally i think across the west uh is why a lot of these people so for example like bronze age pervert who is pretty radical and like like you know pretty openly racist and like i i know a lot of guys around him and they're in private like super super racist but like bap will say now you know like the only thing you guys should should be tweeting about is immigration the only thing that matters is immigration and i think increasingly that is going to be true on the right more generally this feeling that fundamentally the real question is the real
0: question to solve is immigration um and everything else is sort of subsidiary to that Mm. and 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 there's the question of whether immigrations as a as an issue win elections and i think Perhaps the regime, for want of a better term, doesn't quite appreciate or refuses to acknowledge what a powerful motivating factor it is at the ballot
1: i mean that's what's interesting about this this speed quote conversation right because i I think I read, and forgive me if this figure isn't fully accurate, but I think I read recently that you know sixty five percent of Britons think that there is too much immigration to Britain at this moment, right, and somehow that doesn't seem to be translating in high level national politics
0: mm-hmm. and
1: is that because fundamentally, like our elites are, you know, st- like holding holding the dam down and, and keeping like the racist masses from exercising their their bad impulses, or is it because these bad elites are like ignoring the will of this populist like uprising or something? And I think increasingly that's the fundamental question of Western politics.
0: Mm. I think certainly with Brexit, it seemed as if. You know, the electorate was repeatedly trying to express its concerns about immigration and wasn't necessarily being listened to. Yeah.
1: Well, and that's the thing, right? So so there is a I mean, this is a fundamental question, like whether democracies can work. And well, let's say Deneen would say this is a this is a fundamental issue with democracy right now. Is like, can the liberal values that supposedly like we're all supposed to subscribe to survive? a populist will that, like, doesn't want to do what the liberal elites want them to do. And Brexit, at least from here, you know, I wasn't I wasn't there during it. I was pretty young during it. But, you know, the perception from here was that you had a democratic vote that was very quickly, like, described by many people in British politics as sort of exercising like an like a will that was beyond politics and shouldn't be allowed to be legitimized. Mm. And it's a very tricky problem. Uh, that I don't think anyone in
0: politics has quite figured out how to solve. Well, James, I think we'll leave it there. But it's uh, absolutely fascinating to talk to you, as always. And um, I do hope we'll get you on again. What was the name of this book you've got coming up?
1: It's called The Natural Division. I haven't I haven't come up with a subtitle yet. It'll be it'll be out, you know, it'll be a while. But uh, I just I just did the deal. So so I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, uh, congratulations again on your excellent reportage uh, from the, the fringe and the, the various parts of the distant right.
1: Thank you so much. Always good to talk to you.
0: Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer, Natasha Ferrose and the rest of the Spectators broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.